The passage from our gospel today um, has long been understood as the founding of the Christian church. Jesus tells Peter that his church will be built on this rock and that the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Centuries later, we will have taken this passage and concocted something called papal supremacy, the doctrine that the Pope has full supreme and universal power over the whole church, a power which he can always exercise unhindered, which seems to make this verse do a lot of work to me. I think you really can just read it simply and see Peter responding with a faithful answer and Jesus saying, great job, this is what a church will be about. I mean, Jesus even makes a joke while doing so. Peter, Petras, rock, and Greek. It's clever. And nowhere does Jesus then say, also, Peter, you're infallible and the mouthpiece of God. Jesus says, here's the keys to the kingdom, Peter. Take it for a spin. Try not to drive it off a cliff. I don't know that we're very good at that last part. Any look at trends in the past few decades would lead you to believe that we are taking this Christianity thing off a cliff. Forty million Americans have stopped attending church in the last 25 years. It's the largest concentrated change in American history, and the numbers are shocking right across the board, every church, every denomination. And I don't mean this in like a guilt trip kind of way. Clearly, you are here, and it matters for you to be here. In fact, I don't think there's anyone in this room I haven't met before, uh, which is great. Because I'm also not interested in disparaging people who don't attend church. Um, Whenever there's a large societal shift like this, I want to look at the forces involved, not the individuals, or hold them responsible for it. So whomever came to your mind of people you wish were here or in a church somewhere, I'm, I'm not taking a shot at them either. I'm looking at the larger trend, and I think it has something to say to us, the people inside these walls, about why we're here and what is asked of us. There's a recent book out called The Great Dechurching, which interprets a long survey of Americans, 7,000 of them, who have dechurched over the past few decades. And it found results that I didn't expect. Because when I hear people talk about leaving church or the decline in church membership, I hear people talk a lot about abuse of all kinds, abuse of power, sexual abuse, financial malfeasance, general moral corruption. But what this found is that that's actually a pretty small number of folks uh, who've had this experience and are leaving church for this reason. It's not negligible, but it's not the driving force here. Overall, this study found that it's actually a much more gradual process. Uh, Church was important at some time in life, but there's a shift somewhere. Like, you get married to someone who doesn't want to go. And then once the kid is born, the hassle's just too much, and you'd rather sleep. Or you need the sleep. Or you get a job that makes you work 
60 or 70 hours a week plus 15 hours of commute time. The pattern gets set. You become embarrassed to go because people will very kindly ask you how you've been when you've missed for a while. And it's easier to just sit it out. So the whole result of this thing is that it's less driving this thing off of a cliff and more like driving it slowly down a mountain. Church becomes yet another thing to check off of your impossible list of things to do. And it becomes the easiest to group last once the kids' calendars have overtaken your lives. I know that sounds judgy too, but I I mean it when I say that your list is impossible. It is impossible because of how America has structured itself. Because of the decline in church going is a trend, there's a rise in something else. They're always the way these forces work. Something else is taking its place, and the people who study these trends are calling this shift uh, into something else called workism. Work as a religion. Religion provides three things. Identity, transcendence, and community, they say. For Christians, Identity means you are a beloved child of God with a purpose to live out in this confusing and harmful world. Transcendence, the place where the struggles outside of these walls are silenced for one holy moment. And you are brought into the remembrance of the spirit that is all around you all the time. And then community, the folks who are there trying to live out these same ideals. You are not alone in doing this. And now, more and more, particularly they're noting, among the college-educated, people are bowing to work to give them these three things, an identity, a sense of transcendence, and community. It is the worship of a God that measures your life's worth and gives you corresponding financial output. It is a God that demands more and more of your children's lives to position them for that success that the God promises you. I'm not just speculating here. For the first time, the top ambition for young people is finding meaning at work. It beats out family, kindness, helping others, everything. Workism. The question is never if you worship. It's about what you worship. Theologian Stanley Hauerwaus is one of my favorites. He says... Pastoral care has become obsessed with the personal wounds of people in advanced industrial societies who have discovered that their lives lack meaning. He captures the problem. More than half of all Americans, more than half, say that no one knows them well. 
1965, 85% of college students said they were strongly motivated to develop a meaningful philosophy of life. By 2015, 82% of students said becoming wealthy was their aim. The percentage of high schoolers who report persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness shot up from 26% in 2009 to 44% in 2021. In 2000, two-thirds of American households gave to charity. In 2018, fewer than half did. I'll stop with the numbers now. You've heard all of them in certain ways, maybe not all at once, but you get the point. The wounds of workism aren't of a sort that can be managed or life-hacked away. They are resolved only by changing one's life, by becoming a radically different sort of person, belonging to a radically different sort of community. I remember my first religious conversion. It wasn't thrilling. No voice from heaven. It felt like a lightning bolt to me, but it's kind of a lame story to tell. A clear and abrupt shift in my heart happened after I read in the Bible that Jesus said the wealthy cannot inherit the kingdom. That was my goal in life, to become rich. And you'll forgive me my arrogance in that I am actually sure that I could have been until I picked up this set of keys. I have religious conversions all of the time. These keys keep opening up more doors. And you hold them too. The keys to that radically different and rapidly disappearing kingdom. Yeah, it's a kingdom that is so much more than a church, but it's also not less than the church. They are the keys, St. Paul says today in Romans, to no longer being conformed to the patterns of this world. You will find your values and grudges and goals and ideas transformed by the renewing of your mind. You hold the keys to knowing the will of God, he says, what is good and acceptable and perfect. These keys are yours. Take them and unlock a world waiting to be born in you.